0: Amen. Let's welcome Todd and Sarah.
1: We're going to start this morning with a special song and two biographies. You'll see which are on screen.
2: Was a man born of high circumstance. Heir to advantage, he had every chance to succeed. But light from the cross made his dreams appear small. And to their surprise, he abandoned it all. For the love of his Savior, for one priceless jewel, they could not understand, and so they called him a fool. He is no fool. If he would choose To give the thing he cannot keep To buy what he can never lose To see a treasure in one's soul That far outshines the brightest gold He is no fool He is no fool He is no fool if he would choose to give the thing he cannot keep, to buy what he can never lose, to see a treasure in one soul that far outshines the brightest gold. Life to walk in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is no fool. If he would choose to give the thing he cannot keep, to buy what he can never lose, to see a treasure in one's soul. But far out shines the brightest gold, he is no he is no he is no fool,
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be back with you again. Great to spend time with my sister, Lois Cunningham, if you happen to know her. And uh, we're just so glad to be back with you. Slovenia, we'll show you some pictures. We we were in the Sunday school class a few minutes ago and showed the children pictures, and they thought, wow, that looks like a pretty place to live. Well, we'll talk about it. Slovenia, as you can see, is right there between Italy, Austria, Hungary, and Croatia, right at the top of the boot of Italy. (coughs) Excuse me. A lovely place to live. You can see the Alps starting on the south, uh, sorry, on the northwest corner, and then they go across into Austria, Switzerland, and even into France. It's a lovely place to live. It's uh, it, it, go to, on to the next slide. You can see um, lovely alpine lakes. You already saw that picture before. This is up right against the highest peaks of the Alps, Lake Bohin. Lovely, lovely place. Last fall, when the uh, the leaves were turning. But behind this beauty, it's a pretty dark reality. Pastor Neil alluded to it. Um, we just had a friend who travels throughout the 1040 window. That's the, what we mission uh, geeks call the most uh, needy part of the world, uh, the, the place where there's the least evangelism, the least churches, the poorest areas. And he said, you know, he'd only been in Slovenia about three days, and, and he travels through all of those countries. And he said, you know what? Seems To me, Slovenia is just as in bad a situation as those countries as well. Uh, statistically, there's about a 1,000 evangelicals in the whole country. And you might say, well, how many Christians are in Mission Viejo this morning? Well, I would guess probably at least a 1,000. And if you count up, you know, let's say Orange County or whatever, we're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands perhaps on church in church on a Sunday morning. Um, there's a very high suicide rate there in Slovenia. And you might say, well, this looks like the first few minutes of the uh, Sound of Music. Well, it is. It, this is the Alps. We're not far from Salzburg. But it has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, has very high alcoholism and heroin use rates. And uh, so we're doing anything that we can to advance the gospel there. One thing that we're doing uh, in the next slide, it, it relates to the first Slovene book, the Primo's Trubar, who is a reformer you've never heard of. You've heard of Luther, you've heard of Calvin and those guys. We've translated his books into modern Slovene. And as a historian, I studied history before I studied theology. About six years ago, I realized, hey, they have this great reformer, and even the evangelicals don't know what he preached. So now six years later, we've, we've uh, gotten many of the key scholars of Slovenia together. We have two of the books now out in modern Slovenia. You can actually see them out there on our table. And, uh, and we're using that as a national platform to preach the gospel. We're working with youth in our local church. This is a part of our youth group. They'll be having an English camp in just a couple weeks. Uh, sadly, we won't be there this year for that camp. But it's just a great opportunity to reach the next generation. Um, our, our youth group, specifically in the next slide, uh, the, the guy in the middle was our youth group leader, but he moved back to the States. So the pastor on the right, Drago, is the the Slovene pastor that we work under, and the gal between those two is Shauna. She's coming from Oregon and will be working with us for the next few years. So she, she, please remember to pray for her. Um, in the next picture was just a few weeks ago, actually the week after we left. This is one of It doesn't look like a lot of people. I guess there was about 150 people there. This was the first ever combined worship service for all of the evangelical churches in Ljubljana. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you, but that was nine years of prayer, relationship building, reconciliation, uh, and basically me having to write the entire script for the morning so that there would be no offense, no one would be stepping on anyone else's toes. Because, as you know, the Balkans, the Balkan Peninsula, Serbia, Kosovo, Montenegro. When I say those words, you start thinking, hey, didn't they have a war there about 15 years ago? Yes, they did. And they do throughout history. This is a place in the world where people um, get um, offended very quickly, and even in the church. And so part of our work there has just been trying to get the Christians to see, hey, we're all on the same team here. We're all fighting the same enemy, trying to advance God's kingdom. So we invite you to uh, join with us. We thank you so much for your partnership as a church, but I'd ask you individually, come out to our table, grab our prayer card. Would you write your email address on a a piece of paper and hand it to us, or we have a sign-up sheet? We're really good about communicating. We send pictures, updates on what's happening, because we see it as our responsibility to let you know fresh information about what's happening. But it's your responsibility to pray. So please take that on yourself. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and as we're turning there, I'd like to talk about Facebook. Oh my goodness. Now some of you just thought, what a massive waste of time. (laughs) Facebook is just like the dumbest thing ever, and others of you are probably thinking, did someone just put something on my Facebook, and you're getting on your your phone right now checking it. I know it. I know it. There's, There's lovers and haters of Facebook. I'm on Facebook about two months ago, and you know the little window pops up where Someone's wanting to chat with me. Well, it turns out it's one of my friends from my college days. And, uh, hey, how you doing? Oh, doing great, doing great. I hadn't really had much contact with him in probably ten years. So what's up? And we, you know, found out that he's married now and he has children. And, but he's been out of work. And in his, he's a public servant. In his line of work, a, a, a policeman, he just couldn't find any work in the state where he was living. And he was feeling kind of down about it. But it was interesting because the conversation took a little more serious turn to where he was basically saying, you know, as I think back on our college group days, I think, what am I doing with my life? My life hasn't turned out the way it, it, I expected. And he wasn't so much talking about that he didn't have employment at that point. He was talking more about he wasn't really fulfilling the purposes which he thought God had for him. He wasn't really involved, and he was just kind of there living life. Well, it got me thinking, and actually this sermon is a response to him. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Maybe we'll go on to verse 3 as well. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, most of us know the book of Hebrews. We see the word therefore, and we know that it's referring back to the previous chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great hall of faith. It's the Old Testament believers. uh, here, Here are the heroes the people who, who really live their lives for God. The, uh, who's, who's your favorite Old Testament hero? Let's take Joseph, for example. Take a 17, 18-year-old out of your church, send him to another country where he doesn't speak the language, put him in a situation where he's incredibly tempted and there's no support structure around him and no one will know what he, w- he would do and what, what, what happens to him. Well, I don't know what would happen to me if I was that, but I know what happened to Joseph. He stood firm and he did a great job. Or maybe you can think of Esther. You know, she was willing to go before the king, even though it might mean her death, standing in the gap for her people. We all have Old Testament heroes right now. Kids are probably up in Sunday school hearing about some great hero of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Something of a definition of faith. But then a few verses later, in Hebrews one thirteen, talking about all of these different heroes of the faith, it says, All of these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Jump down to verse sixteen. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. These heroes of the faith, these ones that Hebrews chapter eleven talks about They simply had different values. They stood in contrast to the cultures that they lived in. That's who these people were. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, just these first few verses to see what advantage do they have, do we have in Christ as a result of this. So our first point this morning is we need to focus on the faithful. Focus on the faithful, and that's from that first part of the verse. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, if you're a sports fan, you have your heroes. Or if you're a current, you know, even the current sports uh, megastars, they have their heroes from the past. Just this week, John Wooden died. You know, one of the greatest coaches in history and probably a greater man, a greater teacher than he was even a coach. So he's a great hero. And the question as we look at the Old Testament heroes is, well, if they did it, why can't we? Well, yeah, but, you know, they lived in a simpler culture back then. And, you know, God was doing all of these miracle things uh, sometimes throughout history. And, you know, I wonder if, if they really have something up on us. Because we live in a, you know, sophisticated culture of, you know, Twitter and Facebook. And maybe, maybe they had something a little more pure. Well, let's think about that for just a second. What do we have that they did not have? What were these things that they looked forward to, but they were just hoping for? Well, the Messiah. They hoped for the Messiah, but we have the Messiah. We know His name. His name is Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. Those are facts that Abraham had no clue about, that David didn't know what was going on. Even these great heroes of the faith, Elijah, who was taken up to heaven, he didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody knew. It was the Father's perfect plan. And that's the wonderful thing. We have the Holy Spirit. Back then, we could say, you know, like like there were the craftsmen who were putting together the tabernacle. And it says that the Spirit came upon them and they were able to do specific things to make the the tabernacle a really beautiful place. Well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. What an advantage over those Old Testament believers. The Holy Spirit is with you, guiding you, uh, revealing the Word to you. I think maybe we have the advantage over the Old Testament believers. Well, let's keep looking at these verses and see what their example shows us. After we focus on the faithful, let's eject excess. I am just came, went a little crazy with my outline this morning. Let's eject excess. And you've got to love this translation. Let us lay aside every encumbrance. Doesn't the word encumbrance just kind of weigh you down? It's like a big, long word, and you just feel big weights on you. Um, if, if you ever read the, the message, kind of a paraphrase of the Bible, it says, strip down, no extra spiritual fat. You like that one? Kind of a kind of a living thing. Eject excess. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. Joggers. Joggers are jogging down the road, and what are they doing? They're listening to their iPod. Everybody's listening to their iPod, and they're listening to the tunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay, I don't have an iPod. I have a Motorola thing here. But you ever think... You know, why should they just be watching... Why, why, should, why should they just be listening to music? Why don't they watch something? You ever watch anything on your phone? It's kind of small. You know, if you're watching Lord of the Rings on here, it's kind of like, oh, wow, is that, a, is that a big war there? I don't know. But they could be doing that, couldn't they? They could be jogging along watching something. Yeah, but that screen is so small. What if they were to just get out their big screen TV? And so they could just carry their big screen TV as they're running along. Yeah, I mean, you could be watching, you know, a great uh, miniseries or something as you're jogging, saving time. Wouldn't that be great? That's ridiculous. Okay, first of all, we have to make a delineation between jogging and running. Now, I'm not a jogger, but I assume the point of jogging is to get as much exercise as possible, right? So maybe you should carry a big screen TV around. I don't know. But the point of running is to get to the end. And what do runners do? They strip down. They wear the bare minimum so that that they can get to the finish line. This is a race. This is the thing for which our maker has made us. It's obvious that in this illustration, you know, you need to be stripping down to the bare essentials. That's what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying. A marathon runner, even if he has cute grandkids, he's not carrying a photo album of them showing them to the people as he runs by. Even though he needs shoes, he's not carrying an extra pair of shoes. He's stripped down to the bare minimum to get to the end. So the question for us is, what are those encumbrances? What weighs us down? What's weighing you down? Let me brainstorm for a minute. Maybe it's the past. It just burdens you. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe, like Hebrews 11, or the opposite of Hebrews 11, it's a lack of faith. I just can't believe that... Maybe it's stuff. You guys ever watch uh, Veggie Tales uh, when Madam Blueberry goes to Stuff Mart? Stuff Mart. And her house is full of stuff. Is your life just full of stuff? And the care of this stuff is weighing you down. I have a friend, uh, he had been coming to our international church. You saw the pastor of our Slovene language church on Sunday mornings. But we also, I'm also pastor of an English language church in the capital city. There's a guy, Slovene guy, who had been coming to our church for actually several years. He had had a dramatic encounter with the Lord. Um, but now he just has Questions, questions. Questions, So many questions. And now he's into all sorts of conspiracy theories and the Illuminati and all of this stuff. He is far from the Lord now. Do questions weigh you down? You know, if God is so loving, then how can... Maybe you just have a really complicated life, and I'm sure that's true for all of us. There's so many different factors, so many different things coming through. It's just weighing you down. You know, many different Christians, um, let's say where, where Sarah, my wife, comes from in upstate New York, that's where the Amish live. Well, the Amish live really simply, and you might think, "Well, that's kind of silly." You know, they think that to have buttons is proud, and they only have one curtain rather than two because they think it's more simple and more humble. Yeah, but they live a simple life. Is your is just your complicated life weighing you down? Maybe there's debt. Maybe you made some unwise choices, and that's something that's weighing you down. Maybe it's information. Maybe you spend so much time, let's say, on Facebook or on the Internet or watching cable TV or whatever, information is just weighing you down. Billy Graham once said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. And we could add, give me five minutes with the person's day timer. Do people still use day timers? Okay, with their iPhone or whatever. And I will tell you where their heart is. Some friends of ours, uh, some of uh, our friends and and some of our supporters, they had recently had a change in their work. They had to move out of state. A lot of changes in their life, and I hadn't heard much from them. But then I got an email from her just on uh, May 6th. Listen to what she said. It's a rather interesting quote. It's amazing how God turned our lives upside down and saved us from what I call our HGTV lifestyle and is blessing us now more than ever. You like HGTV? Nice houses. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a house that looks as good as if it could be on HGTV, but is it an encumbrance? For this lady, she was saying it actually was. It was weighing us down. It was keeping us from doing the things that God had called us to. So in this instance, we're not talking about things that are bad. We're not talking about things that are evil. It just is a burden. It's just an obstacle to the great goal that God has given us. What is there that if you set it aside... You could follow Christ more fully. What is there that if you set it aside, you'd be more free to listen to His voice and respond more quickly? Only you know the answer to that. Someone once said, you cannot, do, you cannot possibly do everything, join every club, be part of every organization, and be a faithful Christian. Or we can bring it a little farther home. Your kids can't do everything with you in tow, and you can fully fulfill all of the purposes God has for you. That would be my opinion. What takes up your time? What takes up your energy, your finances? Is it bad, sinful stuff? Well, we'll talk about that in just a second. But is it just good stuff? Just nice stuff? Maybe. But is it things of ultimate, eternal significance? I would say hopefully. Just a quick caveat. We need to fulfill our responsibilities. This doesn't mean, hey, you know what? My my house payment's really burdening me. I'm going to go to the bank tomorrow morning and say, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm not going to pay my mortgage anymore. Thank you very much. Or it's not to go home to your family and say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go follow Jesus. I'm going to Zimbabwe. See you later. No, you've made promises in your life. If you've made promises to people, keep them. If you've made promises to banks or institutions, keep them. But you know what? There might be a little wiggle room in life. There might be something that, you know, right now it seems really fixed. There might be something that you think, you know, it's, it's, my life is pretty inflexible right now. Maybe there's a little room. What is there that if you tweaked a little bit that you could follow Christ more fully? And then if some crazy ideas are coming to mind, just keep in mind the example of Paul and Barnabas at Antioch. Remember, Paul and Barnabas had been teaching there. They were uh, in a prayer meeting one day, and suddenly the Lord lays on everyone's heart, send Paul and Barnabas to to the Gentiles. And everyone looks up and they say, hey, I think we should send Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles. The church made a decision. It's one thing, and it's great when someone says, hey, I want to step out in faith. I want to go overseas as a missionary. I want to go work with the homeless. I want to do this ministry. Pastor, will you support me? But it's another thing is when the pastors and others, leaders in the church say, well, let's pray about it. What would the Lord have us to do in that? So just keep that in mind as well. So because of this amazing example of those who have gone before us in the faith, throw off anything, absolutely anything, even stuff that's good or neutral. Anything that's slowing down your headlong pursuit of becoming more like Jesus and of impacting the world around you. Because it's worth it. It only makes sense. Picture the jogger with the big screen TV. It's nuts. So why do I do it? Why do we do it? Let's go for it and make those tough choices that we'll never regret in eternity. The next one is we need to shun sin, the sin which so easily entangles, because there is a tempter, there is a liar, and he would love to see you out of the race. We were in New York City in the year 2000, coming back from our missionary training school, and our friend who we were staying with said, Hey, you want to go see the marathon? I'd never seen the New York City Marathon, so I thought that'd be cool. And one thing that struck me was, as the runners are running by, you you all know this, there's people holding out cups. You know, maybe it's his Gatorade So they're grabbing a cup, taking a drink. They're chucking it down. The road road is filled with water and cups everywhere. What if it wasn't water? What if there was water? But what if there was other stuff that was being offered? What if there was drugs? What if there was poison? Do you think a runner would take the cup? He'd take the cup, take a drink, and suddenly his muscles would start to freeze up. He'd slow down. It'd get hard to breathe. His head would start spinning. What runner would take that cup? That would be ridiculous. The sin that so easily entangles, that phrase can give us the idea of maybe like a web, but but the word easily in this passage really implies something about well-circumstanced, the right time, the right place, the right conditions, the right opportunity for sin for you. Not you, plural, you individually perfectly set up for you to sin. Maybe it's one of your pet sins, one of the struggles that you've had. One guy translated this verse as, lay aside the sin that is always so conveniently close to us. So we're running by, and God is holding out to us the living water. Grab it, grab it. That's the thing that will keep you alive, that will help you to run the race. But the evil one is holding out other cups. And boy, there's a sure, a wide variety of those things. And some things which in the past were more hidden now we are right out there. Some of those things which you'd have to go to a certain place to see, now you can find on your computer at home. So easily, they so easily entangle us because they are so conveniently right there. Maybe we need to make some choices. Maybe we need to make some radical choices to avoid sin. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount? What was Jesus' suggestion for avoiding things like lust? It was a pretty radical idea. And maybe we need to do something similar. So in this context, we're not talking about, you know, just stuff like we were talking about before or, you know, uh, uh, neutral things. Here we're talking about sin. We're talking about lying. We're talking about gossip. We're talking about lust. We're talking about stealing, adultery, murdering with words, greed, envy. Ultimately, it's all about pride, right? God, <laughs> I know how to live my life. Thank you. That's what it's all about. So let me ask you, what sin so easily entangles you? What sin is conveniently close? What sin have you struggled with for a long time? And if I can get really transparent here, do you ever budget sin? Something big's coming up. Like, we got to preach in a church this Sunday. And so maybe you don't do some things that you might normally do. But when life is just kind of coasting by, maybe you let some things slide. It's something of a sin vacation. Something of a, you know, there's some times when I shouldn't sin, and there's other times when maybe it's, well, I don't know. Why shouldn't I do that? Well, because it's killing me. It's killing the race that I'm running. And it's it's worth it to get rid of those things. Because of those who have gone before us, we need to make the choices that they made. The heroes of the Old Testament, they made wise choices, sometimes harsh, radical choices to avoid sin, to be pure, to avoid those poisons that can only kill us. Yet, yeah, Todd, but I've been struggling with this a long time. Go to the Lord. Talk to a trusted friend. Say, hold me accountable. Help me to walk through this. Talk to the leadership of the church. Maybe make some radical choices. Maybe you need to get rid of something. Maybe you need to avoid something. Maybe you need to do something. I can't come up with a list for you, but you, we need to shun that sin. Get rid of it. Because it's the same thing as a runner grabbing a cup and drinking poison and the effects it would have on him. It's worth it so that we can run the race freely in freedom. We also need to concentrate on Christ. We have that great cloud of witnesses cheering us on by their example, but we also have Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Now picture the runner again. Now he's not—he's—he's he's realizing it's kind of nuts to, to have the big screen TV as he's jogging. He realized he wants to just grab the living water and avoid the poison. But now he's thinking, let's take the, the New York marathon example here. Whoa, I'm in New York. Never been in New York before. Hey, there's the, there's the Empire State Building. Wow. And then he stops. You know, I think I'll go in and have a peek. And he goes and visit the Empire State Building. Or he goes, hey, pizza, a slice for a dollar? Well, I'm kind of hungry. I've been running a race. I think I'll go over there. Or, hey, there's a store that sells shoes 50% off. Well, I need shoes. I'm a runner. And he gets distracted. He's devoted his entire life to this race, and he's going to go off and become a tourist or a shopper? Come on. Let's keep focused on the finish line, or in this example, let's keep focused on the runner that's ahead of us, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is cheering us on, Jesus has run the race, and he's the model that we can follow, the one that we can conform our lives to. In verse 3, you know, it says, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners. Consider it, compare it, weigh it. Jesus went through every life circumstance that we went through. Yes, it's a different culture. Yes, it was a different life situation. But temptations are still there. People are pretty much the same, whether they're in Slovenia, California, or a couple thousand years ago. And Jesus himself set aside his divine nature. What did that mean? I don't know. But I wonder if it also is an excuse that we use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Jesus, he was God, and it wasn't a big deal for him. I don't know, if he set aside his divine nature, maybe it meant he didn't have any special advantages over us. If that was the case, then why did he spend so much time in prayer? Why did he spend whole nights in prayer seeking his Father's face? Because he needed to. Not just as a nice example for us so that we'd read it in the Bible and go, wow, well, maybe I need to pray more. He needed it to get through life on this earth. And I think that we do too. Focusing our eyes on Christ. The storm was happening out on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples see a figure walking toward them, and it's Jesus. And what does Peter decide to do? You know the story, but he'd never read the story. He decides, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. And he steps out of the boat with his eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, and he walks on H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, which we all know you cannot walk on. Okay, if it's a frozen lake, I guess you can do it. But he, he, this was liquid water, and he was walking on it. Now you might say, yeah, but what happened then? And you're right. He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. He was walking on water. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And then he starts looking down, and I'm walking on water. People don't walk on water. I've never seen anyone walk on water. I've never read a story about someone walking on water. And what happens? Of course he starts to sink. Because his eyes have been taken off of Jesus. And it's such a perfect example of of what we do as well. We talked about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Here we're talking about fixing our eyes on Jesus, because that is faith. You know, it doesn't make any sense. But I trust you, Lord. Yeah, but I don't see how God can be honored in this situation. But I'll do it the way that Scripture says. Living by faith. Are my circumstances, or is Jesus my focus? Is my focus on the waves crashing around around me or on the one who created me and died for me? So how do we do that? Well, pretty simple, but pretty difficult. Prayer. I've asked you already, would you sign up and join our prayer thing? We need your prayer support. Are you investing time in prayer? I know we talk about it in church. Uh, Prayer is one of those things that Christians do, right? But do you pray? Are you praying for the world? Are you praying for your neighbors? Are you praying for your family? Are you spending time in the Word? This is great that you're coming here and getting fed. Are you feeding yourself throughout the week? Are you hanging out with Christian comrades? And I'm not just talking about sitting in a chair on Sunday morning, but are you having meaningful conversations with one another? Are you actually encouraging one another? Jesus paid the price on the cross. So we have that. He gave us His Word. He is the Word. So we have that. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He set us up for success. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. You saw Eric Little there uh, from the movie Chariots of Fire. One of his favorite quotes was, the first half of the race involves outer strength. The second half of the race involves inner strength. And what that says to me is, you can muscle out some things. You can, you can try really hard and you can look really good. And other people think, well, that's a good Christian. He's a good guy. But to really survive, to not only finish the race, but to finish the race triumphantly, to run the race well, you have to do it God's way with your eyes on Jesus. And then we need to persevere purposefully. Run the race. Run your race. Let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. My favorite movie? Chariots of Fire. You guys all seen Chariots of Fire? I know it's an old movie now. Chariots of Fire, I just love so many things about the movie with uh, the racing scenes, the the music and the slow motion and everything. It's just awesome. Probably one of my favorite scenes. Remember, Eric Little is running in Scotland, and the guy on his right pushes him into the inner track, and then suddenly everything goes into slow motion, and you see Eric get up, and he just kind of gets this look on his face, and he just starts running, just starts running. You know, he's yards, yards, yards behind the rest of the runners. But he catches up to everyone else and wins the race. Oh, if you, don't, if you haven't seen the movie, rent it this week. It's a great one. It's a great one. What did he say? What was the phrase that he said in the movie? God made me for a purpose. Well, he was born in China and went back to China and died as a missionary. God made me for a purpose for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Oh. Wouldn't that be great? to run the race, feeling the pleasure of God, knowing you're exactly where God wants you to be. Exactly. No questions. Not like my friend on Facebook. Picture the runner again. He set aside his big screen TV. He's grabbing the living water. He's not doing the tourist thing. But is he even in the race? Does he got his lazy boy chair there uh, right along the, the race course and he's just watching everybody run by. Does he know what the race even is? Well, the race that God calls each of us to, you know, we could turn to several passages. Mike 6, 8. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think for a lot of us, especially those of us who grew up in the church, I don't know so much that I need to know a lot more of what God's Word says, but I need to know a lot more of how to apply that in my life. How do I get that from my head to my heart? How do I get that out of theory into practice? How do I do on Tuesday what I heard on Sunday? How do I go from my well-intentioned sprints, Oh, Lord, I want to follow you, to long-term serious running, making choices that maybe others haven't, Making choices that fly in the face of our culture, but making the choices that will enable me to truly run the race and fulfill God's purposes for me. That's for us in general as Christians. But what is the race that God has made for you? I asked my friend on Facebook, so what are you doing in your local church? Are you doing anything? Because he's a good teacher. He said, yeah, but the problem is if I sign up to teach a Sunday school class or a home group, what if I get a job and then I won't be able to fulfill my commitment? And I wrote back on Facebook, don't you think God knows that? I know that's easy for me because I wasn't in his, in his situation. But don't you think God can control the circumstances of our lives so that we can step out in faith and do crazy things for him? Popular idea nowadays seems to be a bucket list. You know, what what, what, do, you wanna, what do you have on your bucket list? What are you going to do before you die? The 13-year-old boy who just climbed Everest, he's going to climb the highest peaks on every continent. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty big goal. Or is it? Is the stuff that this world values and you see in the newspapers and you go to msnbc.com and the things that they're celebrating, are those big things in God's eyes? When we're sitting in eternity looking back, will people care who climbed Mount Everest? Will people care who had the most friends on Facebook? What should my kingdom of God bucket list look like? Well, there's one thing I can say for sure. Matthew 28 tells us, make disciples. Who are you building into? Who are you helping to become a fully devoted follower of Christ? Who are you investing your life into? When you leave this earth, what's going to be your legacy in people? I'm a missionary. I'd say, you know what would be great on your bucket list? Go on a short-term trip. Go to Mexico. Come over to Slovenia. Go somewhere and see how other people live, how other Christians worship. Maybe... You know, you guys support a lot of local works here, both in town and around the region. What if you actually volunteered at one of those places? Go and work with one of the local ministries. Look around. You know, you crack open the newspaper and you get all depressed. and You think, oh man, all this stuff that's happening. Well, do something about it. Pray to God and say, show me something today, God, that I can do something about this week. I could donate some money. I could go to this center and volunteer. I could, I don't know what. Maybe you could feed homeless people. Maybe you could uh, tutor children in a school. Maybe you could work with single moms. Maybe you could move. Now, I'm not saying that you have to move, but what if you did exactly the same thing that you do in a different geographic location? What if you even moved to, let's say, a place like Slovenia and continued doing whatever you're doing? Maybe it's just pray. I shouldn't have said just. Maybe it's pray. Get serious about prayer. Find out about your missionaries. Find out what they're getting involved in and beg God for what they're asking for. There's so many times that we do, we're doing so many things simultaneously that I know the only thing that's sustaining us is prayer. Maybe you need to learn. Do some research. Start clicking around. Find, you know, go to Voice of the Martyrs. Go to um, uh, watch, watch a missions movie. Go, go watch Chariots of Fire or something like that. Learn something. Get, get out of the box that whatever your box is right now. Maybe crack open Hebrews chapter 11, find one of those heroes of the faith, and think, Ah, I'd like to study more about Isaac. What did Isaac do? Isaac was a great man of prayer. How many years did he pray before Esau and Jacob were born? 20, 25 years? Learn more about him. That'd be a good idea. So, yeah, but but Todd, I'm not that kind of person. You know, that's great for you maybe. We're not talking about personality types. We're not talking about rich people, poor people. We're not talking about uh, drivers versus shy people. The author of the book of Hebrews isn't talking about Abraham or these guys being extraordinary in any way except they devoted their lives to God. Because the world is dying. The majority of people I would assume that you see walking down the street, and I know in Slovenia, the vast majority of people that I see walking down the street are on their way to a Christless eternity. Thousands of people groups don't even have one verse of the Bible in their language. Thousands of people groups, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people without even one verse. There are millions of people outside the reach of the gospel right now. That should concern us. So let's think outside the box. Let's make some maybe radical changes, maybe some tiny changes. Let's set aside something. Let's deal with those sins. Get them out of our lives. Let's spend more time focusing on Christ. Because now is the time to run. It's not when my life circumstance changes. It's not when, yeah, but, 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 but. It's now. It's now. God has given you the the authority and the role to do something for His kingdom even right now. So, let's focus on the faithful. Let's emulate those heroes of the faith. Let's eject excess. Chuck anything that isn't helping you to run faster. Let's shun sin, especially sin. Let's concentrate on Christ, turning our eyes upon Jesus. And let's persevere purposely and run the race He set out for us in Scripture. Want to look at my Facebook page? Here are the three quotes that I have on my Facebook page. I shared these with you in December 2007 when I last spoke here. Without the high hope of adventure, religion degenerates into a mere appendage of a comfortable life. We need a band of men and women who will do anything short of sin for the kingdom of God. And the quote you already heard, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you go with us to the American cemetery in Cairo, you'll find a grave of William Borden. He was a Yale graduate, heir to the Borden fortune, like Borden food products. He decided he would become a missionary to the Muslims in China, but on the way he died of spinal meningitis in Egypt during his training at age 25. They found his Bible later, gave it to his parents. One dated note right before he renounced his fortune read, no reserve. Shortly afterward, his father offered him the company once again, and he said. No. And he wrote, no regrets. And shortly before he died in Egypt, he added the phrase, no regrets. I'm sorry, no retreat, no regrets. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Don't get discouraged. Don't let things slow you down. Don't let things grind you down. And don't make your goal only to cross the finish line, but to do it well without any regrets. Because it's worth it. Throw off those unnecessary burdens. Avoid the sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the encouragement from your word. And Lord, I pray that today is an encouragement to each of my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for our partnership in the gospel. And help each of us, even this week, even this Monday, Tuesday, Friday, to make some choices to become more like you, to run the race even better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Neil,
0: Please stand with me. At the conclusion of our service, there'll be some men and some ladies and pastors up here in the front. If we can pray for you, if the Lord has touched you and uh, you're looking for something for the Lord to do in your life, please come forward. Also, if you have some needs, if there's something going on in your life that you need prayer, this is the time to do it. I'd encourage you uh, with Pastor Jimmy here. You're going to stay around for a little bit. Todd and Sarah will be outside. Please. What applicable, how could you apply that message this morning? By maybe picking up a prayer card, maybe talking to Pastor Jimmy, finding out what their needs are. Um, With things the way they are, uh, our missionaries need your prayer, need your support. Uh, You're saying, well, Pastor Neal, things are kind of difficult economically here in the United States. That's true. But that's even more difficult for the missionaries who are serving overseas well why do you make this financial appeal every time we get a missionary coming (laughs) because if we don't care about the people in Slovenia Philippines Vietnam who will who's going to care for those people who's going to tell them about Christ I'll tell you who Todd and Sarah Hunnicutt Jim and Shonda Davis and all the other folks who are serving overseas get to know them pray for them and support them.